Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Everybody's enjoying the start of the Labor Day long weekend. Uh, weather has been great uh, in, in the province of New Brunswick, but it is Saturday. We're not at work, so we can all uh, enjoy that and, you know, enjoy the long weekend before, you know, kids get back to school, you know, the weather starts to change and uh, life just kind of goes back to normal if you're living the summer where you're having a lot of fun, not having the same kind of schedule. So, but last night I, I went into a Friday night thinking, okay, well, I'm going to sit home and watch sports because that's what I do. But last night was one of the greatest sports nights in a long time for me. And it had everything. There's no hockey and there's no NFL. So you're probably thinking, Noah, what are you talking about? That Those are your two, uh, you know, two biggest things that you love, but tennis, college football, there was a crazy baseball, the Blue Jays game last night, and then the Dodgers and Giants as well. Um, there's so much that I want to get into today because last night was just so interesting, but I thought we'd start by talking about the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open, the last major of the tennis season so far, I think has been a spectacular major where 16 matches have gone at least four plus hours. That means we're seeing a lot of five set matches, a lot of comebacks. Started with Vashik Pospisil on the Canadian side, coming back from two down to Fognini, but it's continued Yesterday, where Dan Evans was down two sets, uh, the man from Great Britain, to Alexi Popperin from Australia, and he comes back from two sets down. He's moving on to the round of 16. But yesterday on Arthur Ashe Stadium, it was truly upset, 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 where if, if there was a seed that was supposed to win, they weren't – it wasn't a good idea for them to play in Ash yesterday, Arthur Ashe Stadium, the, the big center stage of the U.S. Open. And I'll get to Stefano Sissipas, but let's start with the Canadian, and that would be Layla Annie Fernandez, the 18-year-old who last night defeated world number three, four-time major champion Naomi Osaka. And it truly was incredible. The first set, it was dominance from both on their serve, where uh, Layla uh, didn't face a break point until the last game, of, uh, till her last service game in the first set. She was cruising. A lot of the points, she um, the average uh, point of play was five, uh, five points in the first set from both women. It was just nobody could get even a sniff on their serve. But she gets the five all. And then she loses the first three points and Osaka breaks her at love. And I'm like, ah, tough break. And Osaka holds easily and move into the second set. And it looked at the same point. The first four service games that she had, she had no problem. Just she was getting aces. Osaka could hardly return points. And same thing for Layla, where she really couldn't get any traction on Naomi's serve. But at five all, she faces a really tough service game and she guts out a hold. And this is where the match really pivoted to me because Osaka had break point opportunity. She had two and Layla fought and she was able to, to, to win that service game. And we saw a shift in Naomi Osaka and 
you know, Osaka holds, we get into a tie break and the tie break was just a disaster for Naomi. She started hitting uh, error after she had four, she had four unforced errors in the tie break alone. And then Layla, Andy Fernandez ends up winning the tie break in the second set seven to two and Osaka's breaking her racket, you know, throwing it twice on the ground, back-to-back points. This is really uncommon for Osaka. Who's very mild mannered, who, isn't, you know, she, she's been in the, in the spotlight because of her talk about mental health, but she's not a flashy competitor where she shows a lot of emotion, where she lets these things get to her. So this was definitely a change of, this is just a change of personality, in my opinion, from Naomi, where I was so unaccustomed to this. But we see her snap. And then the first game of the third set, Layla breaks her. And to me, this just, and again, Layla's only 18 years old. And in Canada, we need to pump the brakes on. Now, when, when a player wins a major, when a player has had success, it is totally fine to expect that success to continue. It, it shouldn't be, well, he got to a quarterfinal. That's a good tournament. I've talked about this before. But putting pressure on young 18-year-olds is how you kill a career. And I think we need to love what Leila Annie Fernandez is doing. But again, put realistic expectations for her. But what I liked and what I saw and what I think can contribute to future victories and potentially, who knows, in the women's game, a future major is her ability under pressure. You know, having the clutch gene, I I totally believe in that. Like Tom Brady is clutch. And Joe Montana is clutch. He's 4-0. I think Joe Montana is clutcher than Tom Brady. That might be a hot take. He's 4-0 in the Super Bowls. Batting 1,000. Tom Brady's lost three. Yeah, he's won seven. But still, I'd, I'd rather be 4-0 than 7-3. and three. That's just me personally. But having that ability in the big moment to come out there, the pressure's on. You're, you're on Arthur Ashe Stadium, prime time. You just saw what happened with the Savano Sissipas match. You're on court with Naomi Osaka. And, you know, Layla, like Naomi, is multicultural. She's Canadian, but she's, she's, uh, she's got, uh, I believe she's Indian, and she also um, has uh, some Asian descent as well. So they, they share some similarities there. And you, you got to think, Naomi's an idol of hers. I mean, Naomi was winning a major at a very young age. She was beating Serena Williams at the same court just a few years ago. And Layla never really gave Naomi a chance. Service game after service game, she closed the door. Naomi didn't get a sniff. Naomi didn't get close. She didn't get a break point the rest of the third set. And she just put the explanation point on, this is my time. This is my night. And Canadian Layla Annie Fernandez reached her first career glance, Grand Slam quarterfinal. And this is really coming out of nowhere. She lost her first round match at the Rogers Cup. She lost her first round match at Cincinnati. She's not on the major spotlight yet, but 
she did it. And another thing I really liked about her is I think she is Canadian in a sense that she doesn't want to be too flashy. And I think that's a negative thing, but she's very nice. And, you know, but she got the crowd involved. And after the match, she talked about, you know, fueling off the crowd and getting, getting them on her side. And I, I like that. As you know, if you listen to me for five minutes, I want somebody to be more in your face, more rambunctious than, well, that was great. So cool. Like it seeing emotion, seeing them get the crowd, fire them up. That's gold to me. And it tells me something about that player because Layla was not afraid of that moment. Friday night, Arthur Ashe Stadium, third round, you're playing arguably the best women's tennis player in the world when she wants to play. And you beat her. You just beat her. There's no asterisk because Naomi's going through a mental health. No. You went out there and, and she beat her. And it, it was a shock to me. What a great match. Um, and for her to do that at 18, in tennis, it's becoming more and more common. Coco Goff, 17. She reached a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Layla's 18. She's going into a round of 16. I'll mention the Spaniard on the men's draw. He's 18. He's going into his first major round of 16. In 2017, Yelena Ostapenko of Denmark uh, won the French Open, won a major at 18 years old. In tennis, you can win at a younger age. The men's draw is so much – it's tougher with Djokovic sitting there. However, on the women's draw, sure, you can say Ash Barty's a favorite and Naomi Osaka uh, and a few – Carolina Pushkova. But on the women's draw – and this is why women's tennis is so much more interesting than the men. Because any woman can win any major. Barbara Kretcheva, who's now ranked eighth in the world, started the year ranked 72. She won the French Open. She had never been to a Grand Slam quarterfinal prior. And she won the French. I'd hardly heard the name. Now she's back. She's in the U.S. Open quarterfinal. She's risen to eighth in the world, but she may never win another major. Angelique Kerber, who's a great women's player, who Layla Andy Fernandez will play in the round of 16, is a four-time major champion, yet she hasn't won the U.S. Open since 2016. It's five years ago. And so for Layla, it's a huge win. And it sets up a potentially really interesting, really interesting uh, second week of this major where Bianca Andreescu is through her first two, two first matches. She beat Lauren Davis in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4. Should have won easier than that, but she got through it. And her draw is very favorable. Today, she has like, a great mitten of Belgium. And... To me, clearly she's the favorite and she should win that match. That's at 12 o'clock today. So she will, um, she will play uh, today uh, um, against her at 12 o'clock. But again, that should be moving on 
to the quarterfinal, in my opinion. And just going to look up the draw here for, um, for Naomi, and we'll get to the men's in a second here. But she's playing Mitten today. Then she'll play the winner of Petra Kvitova, Maria Sakari. That's no given. She can beat either woman, but Kvitova, is, her best surface is grass. She's never made it, made it to a Grand Slam final other than on grass. So Sakari made the semifinal at the French. We'll see what she can do here. But after that, Pliskova, potentially Pavlchenkova in, in the quarterfinal. But I'm just saying, you never know. And looking at Layla's draw, she will play Kerber. Again, she'll go in the underdog, which was the underdog against Osaka. So who knows? She'll play the winner, Svitolina and Simona Halep, who's kind of risen back from the dead after being injured for most of the season. But to me, I don't know if she'll go on the Bianca Andrescu ride where Bianca rode the wave of momentum, winning in Indian Wells, then winning the Rogers Cup and, and winning at the U.S. Open. I don't know if she has an inner right now, but I see signs of this is not where I think the, the media just jumped on Eugenie Bouchard because she started to win matches. And I get it. It is lazy journalism, if you ask me, because you get a Canadian to win anything, people say, well, they're the next big thing, which maybe watch the matches, maybe do some research. So when that person flames out, it's not that big of a surprise. But last night in those clutch moments, it showed something to me. And I truly believe Layla could be a Grand Slam champion because her serve is really good. That's a key point. She needs to work on a return of serve. I think that could be a problem against Kerber because Kerber is a good, uh, really good return of server. She, she can return it very strong on the backhand. So Layla needs to get first serves in against Kerber if she's going to win that match, even have a chance to win that match. But don't let her, don't throw a second, um, a second uh, serve at you and she'll swat it back. Do not let that happen on Sunday. But just her composure, her ability to play under pressure, and in those clutch moments, it showed something to me that Layla could be a Grand Slam champion in the very, you know, I'm not saying very near future, but in the future, she could be, I mean, she's still in this tournament, so who knows? But Next year, potentially, we see these women grow and win a major out of nowhere. That could be Layla. And she could flame out. But I, I saw more last night than I ever did from Eugenie Bouchard. I, I don't see that as, the, as her, her arc, her trajectory. I think it's going more towards hopefully Bianca of 2019 and potentially, you know, hopefully Bianca of 2021 here. Um, the other side of that match, Naomi Osaka. I don't know what's going on with her. Obviously, I'm not inside her head. I'm not going to say what I think. Is, I can't. For me to say, well, she's going through mental health. This isn't real, whatever. I, number one, I don't know. And that would just be irresponsible of me. So I'm not doing that. But she said after a match that she thinks she's going to be taking a break from tennis for a long while. And um, I... She's was crying after the match. She's snapping at reporters. And to me, she said when she wins, she doesn't feel happy. She just feels like, okay, well, relieved. And when she loses, she feels really sad. 
bigger picture here. I don't know if tennis is for her. Obviously she's great when she wants to play. She's already won four majors and she's same age as me. She's 23, but mentally, I don't know if she can deal with it. Being an athlete, whether you like it or you hate it, you got to deal with the media. Whether you like it or you hate it, there's pressure on you. That's sports. That's just the way it is. You win, you'll get lauded. You'll lose, you're going to get criticized. Since the media has really joined in a, um, you know, I think of the Jordan Bulls era where really sports media started to change. Um, obviously in hockey in Toronto, it's been like that forever, but we even see it now across Canadian markets in New York, uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, media and fans are loud and they're going to let you have it. And People don't like to hear all the time about excuses. And I don't believe mental health should be used as an excuse. And what I mean by that is mental health is a serious issue. And if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with anxiety, that's, just, that's serious. However, if you choose to play a tournament, if you choose to play a match, Mental health should not be referenced after it because if you weren't well enough to play, then don't play. That's fine. I'm not going to criticize you. If somebody in the media does, guess what? They shouldn't be doing the job because it's not on somebody who doesn't know what's inside somebody's head to criticize them. Now, if it's 365 days a year and you can't go to work, well, yeah, you're going to get fired point blank. Maybe get some workers comp. We know our government loves to give that out. So uh, maybe come to New Brunswick and you'll probably get that from Trudeau. But um, in the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things here, play or don't. And to me right now, I'm truly looking at Naomi and thinking, is her career over? And it might sound... I might be jumping the shark, but I don't think I am. I think her career truly could be over because she doesn't seem fulfilled and she's starting to break out of her character. And I don't think she's watching the tape. I don't think she's going to like what she sees throwing a racket, getting pissed off at the chair up. That's not Naomi. You could argue that's, Serena Williams. And number one, I never minded Serena Williams throwing a racket. It's like breaking a stick over the post. When's that ever criticized in hockey, but yet in tennis, because everybody has to be such a good person. And, oh, it's dignified at Wimbledon when you got the queen and Harry and all those losers sitting there. You got to be, you know, presented and be such, be so good with the royalty sitting, you know, a foot away from you. But Serena did it forever. She's the best tennis player to ever live. And maybe Naomi can pivot and be a heel. And what I mean by that is just kind of be the villain of tennis. No, it can't be 
But I do think there's an opportunity for her to pick on the media, to skip on interviews, to be the Bryson DeChambeau of women's tennis. I would love it. Now, I don't know if that's in her psyche. I think she's just a really good person. And you got to do what's in your heart. This is not pro wrestling where you're playing a character. But if you're tired of the media's questions, if you want to snap at them, that would be great for the sport. I'm not going to lie. I think think the play is really good. But having somebody on the mic that's interesting, that's going to piss people off, that's not going to give an answer that every – every housewife likes is good. You can say a lot of things about Bryson DeChambeau, but he's polarizing. People have an opinion on him. They love him or they they hate him. Me, I don't root for anybody, but I love his, I love his antics. It's entertaining. What sports entertainment and him with the whole Brooksy and everything like, yeah, he's a pain in the ass, but he's entertaining. And that's something to be said for that. Um, I'll get to Felix Ogia Seam in, in a second, but before Layla hit the court on Arthur Ashe, it was a young Spaniard by the name of Carlos Alcaraz, 18 years old, facing world number three, Stefano Sissipas. Sissipas has been in the news for his bathroom antics. Andy Murray taking two separate breaks of over eight minutes long in his second round match against Adrian Manorino, taking a nine minute break, you know, to go to the bathroom. And this was another big match. Uh, Alcaraz wins the first set. Sissipas comes back, wins the second in, wins second one, six, three. Third set's tough, tough fight. Uh, they both hold serve the whole t- entire third set. Neither man faced a break point. They get to the tie break, and Alcaraz breaks through. Fourth set, Alcaraz is broken in the first service game. He loses the fourth set 6-0. You could say you really conceded the fourth set, saved his energy, and it was actually Alcaraz who turned the table. He gets a medical timeout at the end of the fourth set, and I found this poetic justice for Sissi Paz, who had all the momentum at the time. But he he's sitting there and getting a medical timeout. Sissi Paz, to his credit, didn't say anything, but he didn't have a leg to stand on because he's been taking bathroom. Like, I don't know how long it takes to go to the bathroom, but I, he takes longer than anybody I've ever met. And fifth set's just dynamic. Both guys, Alcaraz saves three break points serving at four, three, uh, three, four. And it just felt like, okay, this, there's something special brewing here. And we get to a fifth set tie break. Now this was introduced a few years ago at the U S open where before there was no fifth set tie break. They played a service game until they found a winner. But after the long John Isner, Nicholas and who match, and then the long John Isner, Kevin Anderson match at Wimbledon, they decide to change this, go to a fifth set tie break. So matches aren't seven, eight hours long. And Alcaraz wins the tie break 7-4, rips a winner to win the match. And the 18-year-old is through to his first career grand slam 
round of 16. Incredible from he drops to the court, he crying after the match, the Spaniards, his parents in attendance. And what is, I mean, great feeling for him, but what is the bigger story here is this draw. And you look at it. I'll start from the bottom. Daniil Medvedev, world number two, 2019 U.S. Open finalist, 2021 Australian Open finalist. He's the favorite. No surprise to see him there. Dan Evans ranked 24th, being in the round of six. Bit of a surprise, especially being two sets down. Diego Schwartzman, small surprise. Then you got Botach van de Schulp. This guy's from the Netherlands. I'd never heard of him before this tournament. He beat Fernando Bagnes of Argentina. I hadn't heard of him. He lost the first set, wins the next four, 6-0, 6-2, So you got Schwartzman Vanishit, okay? Sissipas, number three in the world, probably should be winning, but he gets beat by Alcaraz, big upset. Alcaraz will now play Peter Goshowitz of Germany. Goshowitz has never been to a round of 16 of a major. That's three men who've never been to a round of 16 of a major. Dan Evans has been 2-1. So that tells you something. Then you got, we'll get, move it right up. Last night on Louis Armstrong, while Layla was, was playing, another primetime match, Felix Ogiasim of Canada was playing. And it looked like it was going to be a routine win for him. Gets the first two sets, gets a break in each, gets the win. Up a break in the third set. But to his credit, Roberto Bautista Agut, the veteran Spaniard, did not give up. He battled hard, gets the break back, and ultimately breaks in the third set. Then in the fourth set, he gets a break. At, uh, Felix Oje seems serving at 3-4, breaks him there, 6-3. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. Bautista Agut's got all the momentum. He's going to come back and win here. But no, Felix found a way to battle in that fifth set, gets a break, serving a 2-1, and he, he Bautista had break point opportunities, but Felix battled through, especially at 4-3, serving. He, he found a way to overcome it. He, he battled through that service game, and he wins that match just over four hours long. That was the 15th match to go to four-plus hours. And he... You know, it looked like he was going to play Andre Rublev, really one of the up-and-comers in the men's game. Um, he's uh, really dynamic, got a big serve. And he, I was watching that match. That match only started um, at 11.30. He takes the first set. But TFO then takes the next two, including the third set and the tiebreak, 8-6. Rublev wins the fourth set. But TFO crushes the fifth set, 6-1. So Francis TFO, the American, Another upset, another, so yesterday, the fifth and third seeds were bounced from the men's draw. So now TFO has never been to a quarterfinal. OGLSM got to his first career quarterfinal at Wimbledon. They'll play each other tomorrow. And I got to suspect this is going to be a primetime match because you have an American. They, they obviously love to put Americans on primetime. And you also got Felix, who's been playing some primetime matches. We've seen a lot of Canadians get primetime where Bianca's played twice. Shabavalov has played every match so far on primetime. So Canadians have been getting spotlighted on, on primetime matches. But now you look at it. Ojeelacine will be favored against TFO. Will he win that? I'm not saying he will, but he'll be the favorite. He'll then play the winner of Peter Goshowitz and Carlos Alcaraz. 
You either play an 18-year-old or a German unranked player who has never been to a Grand Slam quarterfinal. So I mentioned yesterday that Felix, had, I believe, has the best chance for Canada to win a major this tournament. That includes Layla, I didn't see her winning, but that includes Bianca, who's won a major, or Dennis on the other side of the draw. But you got TFO, you should win. Then you got a quarterfinal against a player that's never won. And it would be likely Medvedev in the semifinal. But go in and take your chances. Shapovalov fought hard against Djokovic and Wimbledon. He didn't win. But what an opportunity and what a story that would be for Felix to get to a semifinal. And you, you don't got to play Djokovic. It is Medvedev. He is, his best surface is the hard courts. And he's looked great so far. But to me, this is where expectations are real. Felix Oje-Aliassime should reach the semifinal of this major. If he does not, it's a failure, in my opinion. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He should win his next two matches. If he doesn't, it's a big failure. You're never going to get a draw like this. It's The women's draw is usually wide open. It's the polar opposite, where you got Krejcova an eight seed win yesterday. Kerber wins, survives against Sloan. You got uh, Muguruza winning. Uh, Osaka did drop. That, that was a big upset, but uh, Sabalenka won last night, um, the number two seed. So a lot of big seeds are still in the women's draw. Well, you look at the men's draw and you're like, wow, this is very winnable for a lot of these guys. And that includes Felix. To me, get to a semifinal, see what you got in the tank. Now, when we look at Dennis, he's playing his third round match. He'll be first on primetime tonight. He'll play Lloyd Harris of South Africa. And on paper, that looks like an easy matchup. Lloyd's um, not ranked. But he's played some really good tennis this summer. Lloyd beat Rafael Nadal at, in Washington. So he's, he's made a, a run at a few different tournaments. I think that'll be a good test. Uh, next up would be the big serving rally, Opelka, or Nicholas Bashashvili of, of Georgia. Opelka has been very good this summer, but Bashashvili should put on a good test. Um, Djokovic will play Kaney Shikori, the former runner-up here today. Um, he'll then play the winner of uh, Aslan Karatsev, who just finished a five-set match, or Jensen Brooksby, the young American who beat Taylor Fritz the other night. So great tennis today. A lot of American and Canadians still in the draw. And, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, this, this tennis tournament so far has been a lot of fun, a lot of upsets. You never know what's going to happen. But Bianca's on a court today at noon. We'll have um, tonight, uh, Shabavalov is on against Lloyd Harris. Uh, Sasha Zveris playing Jack Sock tonight. So just... Should be another fun day of, of tennis. And I, uh, the, this major has been dynamite so far, and it really contributed to one of the funnest, funnest uh, sports-watching nights I've had in a very long time. Um, let's pivot to baseball. Where last night, I'm flicking between a million things. I'm watching college football. I'm watching the U.S. Open. I got my computer going. And I'm watching some of the Blue Jays game early. The, you know, Alex Manoa didn't have a great start, gave up six earn last night. It started off rough for him where he had bases loaded in the first inning. Matt Chapman hit a double um, to the wall, scores two. Later, you get a, a home run from Tony Kemp to make it 6-2. They later add another two runs. I'm like, okay, it's 8-2 Oakland. Tonight, 
is not the night for the Blue Jays. Tough one. They're going to go to another game in the wild card. I don't believe they're going to make the playoffs anyway. So, you know, Bob's your uncle. Their season's over. But they start to rally. And that was the that's the crazy thing about baseball. We've seen it happen. The Blue Jays have bats to do it. And the bullpen for Oakland was leaking in a major way. And it started with Lou Trevino giving up four runs, but it, it was just bats coming alive. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. last night goes three for four with three singles. I mean, he, he was doing it all last night. And you get to that point of the game where they're down 8-2 in the eighth inning. Vladdy gets a single, tries in a run. So now they're down 8-3. Then a really great at-bat from Alejandro Kirk when uh, Yosermo Petit got brought into the game. He walked on a full count. Great at bat, two outs. Just great showing from him. Next batter is Luis Gurriel Jr. is now 8-4. He cranks a grand slam. We're tied at eight just like that. Uh, I didn't see it coming whatsoever. I flicked for a second. I come back. It's 8-8. The Rogers Center is going wild. Blue Jays are, are right back in the game. But then we get to the ninth. They bring out Jordan Romano, and I'm like, okay, Jordan, pitch a clean eighth, a clean ninth. You'll see what happens. But he gives up a base hit to Matt Olson, and then Mark Canna hits a ball to the left, right off the foul pole, makes it 10-8 Oakland. I'm like, oh, my God. You just had a huge comeback like that, and Romano couldn't close the deal. Well, he was, he was just pitching to have a clean inning, but he blows that up. Oakland's got the lead. So we go to the bottom of the ninth. You get Springer gets a double. Then uh, Valero gets a single. That brings up Marcus Simeon, who's been one of the best players this season. They signed off for cheap last offseason, and he cranks a home run to dead center. This one was a goner from the second it hit his bat. And he walks off the, um, the Oakland Athletics, oddly enough, his former team who let him go. And the Blue Jays win the game 11-10 after being down 8-2. And Simeon, you know, batting 266, he's got 34 homers, 81 RBIs. He's a clutch hitter. And I just look he's going to make a lot of money in this offseason, whether he has another season like this or not, it doesn't really matter. He's in his contract year and he's balling out and the blue Jays need to retain him and Robbie Ray. I don't, I, you know, you can spend money in baseball. You can't Bay Rays do it one way, but for teams like Toronto, you're only going to get free agents if, if you sign players. But, you know, I saw on Twitter trending last night that this is the turning point, the blue Jays season. Yesterday was September 3rd. There's less than a month. They get 29 or 28 games left, I believe. And it was great. And I'm going to have to be Debbie Downer today, but it's not just Debbie Downer. This is called realism. This is called being real, being 100 homes. And last night's win for the Toronto Blue Jays meant absolutely nothing. Now, if they go on a run, in the last month, they make the playoffs, then I'll eat crow. I'll say I'm wrong on the podcast. No problem. However, it's just context. Nobody seemed to look at the scoreboard last night, but Jug did, of course. I do my research. I come on here and 
I give you the straight dope. So who are the Blue Jays chasing? You could say Tampa Bay, even though they're 13 and a half back, they're not catching them. So we'll, we'll leave out Tampa Bay, even though they won last night, so that the Blue Jays didn't gain the ground on them. So New York Yankees, first wild card, a game and a half up on the Boston Red Sox, six and a half game lead starting last night on the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, Yankees are playing Baltimore. Baltimore fought hard. Uh, they tied it up in the seventh. They took a lead, Mountcastle in the 10th, but let me, you tied it up. But Giancarlo Stanton walked off Baltimore in the bottom of the 11th when he brought in Aaron Judge to score on a single. So that would mean that New York won the game, and that means that the Blue Jays gained no ground on the New York Yankees. Okay, well, so that's just one team. One team. Okay, let's keep going down the scoreboard. Boston Red Sox, they're playing the Cleveland Indians. So at least they'll be the, Indian, they'll be the Cleveland Indians for the next month before they become the Guardians next season. Boston, I wonder if they won last night. Well, they're in a tight battle. Cleveland fights back in the, in the seventh inning. Austin Hedges, the catcher, gets a two-run homer. But newly acquired Kyle Schorber doubles in the bottom of seven scores. Danny Santana scores a Victor Arroyos. Next batter, Hunter Renfro. Homers score Schwarber and Verdugo. And let's see. Red Sox win eight to five. So that means that the Blue Jays, who need to pass the Boston Red Sox in order to get the second wild card and make the playoffs with their win last night, no matter how dramatic it was, gained. No games. And that's just the, they're still five games back of the wild card. And last night it was like, you know, Kisara, Sarah, and it, I get it. Okay. They haven't played in Toronto in a while. And I got some Toronto fans that I see on Twitter, on social media, but last night's game was, was meaningless. And you might say I'm a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm just telling you the truth. And you know, not to make matters worse, but Seattle, looking at the scores, Seattle Mariners, but they're also a game behind who Seattle's actually ahead of them trying to catch the Red Sox, won last night as well. So that means they're still behind Seattle in the wild card race. So after this fantastic win, season changer, and it's just, so they're still behind Seattle. All they left are still behind Oakland by two games. And they're still behind Boston, who they need to catch, who have a five-game lead on them. Wow. And, yes, that might sound like a Debbie Downer, but did anybody really look at the scoreboard last night? And it was such a, you know, euphoria where, oh, my God, we won the game. But what did it mean? Nothing. And maybe this will be the launching point. For the rest of the season, where the Blue Jays, we saw Victor, Vladdy starting to hit again. Positive sign. Their bullpen still stinks. Not a positive sign. Manoa got blown up. Uh, but we are seeing some life from the bats. And that can mean a lot of things. They do have an easy schedule, but they got two more against Oakland. I think you got to win. But like I just, you got to win both these games, period. Because 
The Red Sox have the Cleveland Indians this weekend. That's not a good team. And you just lost one to Baltimore. You can't afford to lose. You play Baltimore a ton down the stretch. You play Minnesota again. But you still got the Rays. You got the Yankees starting on Monday. They'll play the Yankees Monday afternoon. That's a tough matchup. And to me, you got to win both these games against Oakland this weekend because Red Sox got Cleveland. Yankees got Baltimore. Those are easy series for these teams. And, you know, even looking at Seattle, they got Arizona. That's not a tough matchup either. So just saying, fantastic game. I love the ending. It was fantastic theater. But in the grand scheme, this was just one of 162. And this could be just one of 162 for a team that doesn't make the playoffs. And that means that one of 162 will be just as relevant as Madison Bumgarner throwing a no-hitter for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Because Arizona's not making the playoffs either. Now, the Blue Jays are much better than Arizona. But if you don't make the playoffs, you're both going to be golfing in Arizona at the same time. And it could sound harsh, but we'll see. They play today against Oakland, 4 o'clock uh, first pitch. Um, again, huge series. I mean, you got to make up games here. And Oakland's a tough team. Um, I'm sure they'll want to come out and play better. Today they'll be embarrassed after last night, but how will the Blue Jays respond? Today it's Jose Barrios, who has not been good since being acquired by the Blue Jays. He'll go against Paul Blackburn for Oakland. So that's a 4 o'clock first pitch today. Also last night in the most intriguing division in baseball, and it's not even close, that would be the NL West. And it used to be because we had the Padres, Giants, and Dodgers all battling for first. Now the Padres have fallen off, and they're out of it. They're just trying to make the wild card battling with Cincinnati right now as we head into the final month. But this past week, the Los Angeles Dodgers swept the Atlanta Braves, who they played in the NL Championship Series last year. And the Giants lost three or four to Milwaukee, losing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, getting the win on Thursday to salvage the series. And they entered uh, the series against the Dodgers with a 85 and 49 record equal to the Dodgers. Now, the crazy thing is both these teams, they have the two best records in baseball. Yet one of them is going to be a wild card team, meaning San Francisco or the Dodgers will play likely Cincinnati or San Diego in a one game playoff, meaning you could have a great season, that great record. But if you have a bad pitching day or the other team is great pitching there, the bats come alive, your season's over just like that. And this series this weekend is pivotal. You have Los Angeles heading San Francisco for three games to play their arch rival. And last night it was a very good pitchers duel where we saw Corey Knabel was really a, a bullpen guy start the game. But we see them go to six different pitchers before they get an earned run. And Kenley Jansen's throwing, Blake Trinan, Shane Green, uh, Gratterall. But as we get later into the game, we saw Andrew Desfilani go six innings for um, for the uh, Giants. Tony Watson's been great. The bullpen, Trevor Rogers, Jake McGee, their closer gives up an earn run. But it was top of the ninth. Uh, Chris Taylor scores a run, ties the game at one. Then in the tenth, Justin Turner hits a sacrifice fly to Mike Rosemsky. Walker Bueller, oddly enough, came in the game as a pinch runner. He scored. But then bottom of the 10th, 
Brandon Crawford, the ever clutch player, singles in, Buster Posey scores. And we go to the bottom of the 11th, the next inning, and on a fielding error by Justin Turner, the San Francisco Giants walk off the Dodgers. They take the first game of this three-game set. They have reclaimed first place in the NL West. And they have two more games, including 10 o'clock tonight, first pitch. And this is a pivotal series. They play tonight. You can see that game on Sportsnet. And tomorrow they'll play on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, but these two teams are desperate for wins. You know, we got next week we'll see Giants, Rockies, Dodgers are in uh, – St. Louis, a tough, tough series for the Dodgers. So it's going to be a battle the rest of the way between these two teams to see who can, you know, Giants play the Cubs down the stretch. That's an easier series for them. Dodgers play the Padres, which would be, you know, they've had their success against them. But to me, this weekend could decide. I think if San Francisco could take two or three, again, it would only be a one-game lead. But I like their schedule a little bit more. They got the Cubs, the Rockies, like I mentioned. Padres are a tougher matchup. and they can win some of those games and, and get a lead where the Dodgers may have a little bit more trouble. But the the, shame, you know, the one game playoff in baseball is something they have going for them. It's exciting. Everybody wants to watch it. And as of right now, it would be the Los Angeles Dodgers playing the Cincinnati Reds in the wildcard game. And it's crazy because the Dodgers have a 13 and a half game lead on Cincinnati for first in the wildcard. But it wouldn't matter if Joey Votto wakes up and you have a really good start and uh, Nick Castellanos is hitting dingers, then it wouldn't matter. But it's becoming an interesting race because Cincinnati has a half game lead on San Diego, but St. Louis is only a game and a half back. Philadelphia is two games back. The Mets are four back. So the NL wildcard is becoming increasingly interesting down the stretch here as Philly has the easiest schedule remaining in baseball. They got crushed last night against the Marlins. But down the stretch, they have an easy schedule. The Mets have won six in a row, oddly enough, from after the Javi Baez uh, confusion and all that. St. Louis has been kind of out of sight, out of mind all year. But they crushed the Brewers last night, 15-4. to four, And they're, they're not going to catch the Brewers, but they got a chance to, to do it in the wild card. And, you know, the NL East is becoming interesting because Atlanta is struggling. They've lost six in a row. And they lose, lose to the Rockies last night. And the Mets are four back of them. Phillies two games back. So that's a race. So we are starting to see some interesting things down the stretch here. In the AL, it's pretty determined. The Tampa Bay Rays have a six-and-a-half game lead on New York. Chicago White Sox have a nine-and-a-half game lead on Cleveland. And Houston has a five-and-a-half game lead on Oakland. So those are really set in stone. But in the last month of baseball, we are on the home stretch here. And this is uh, interesting stuff where it's going to be every game's important. You got to find ways to win. Guys need to step up. Your Can your bullpen hold up? And can guys come up with clutch hits? I think of a guy like Brandon Crawford last night in the 10th for, for the Giants where he gets a single. The next inning, you pitch a clean inning and you find a way to win. Those are, you know, Brandon Crawford's a playoff guy. That's what he does. But for the Giants, for this great of a season, I'd have much more confidence in them having a best of five to start the postseason than a one game playoff. I think the Dodgers will win that wild card game. I have less confidence in the Giants, even though they've had a great season. Just because I, I don't know. I, I just I think the Dodgers have so much pitching weapons that they can go to multiple guys to get through that one game where the Giants have a, a really good bullpen. It's been the strength of their team all year. 
but I don't know if it's if it's good enough with their starting pitching to to win a one game playoff. Uh, we'll see. But interesting things down the stretch here. Can the Cardinals find a way to make the playoffs? Can um, can the Mets and, and uh, Phillies make it interesting in the NL East? Certainly interesting to watch down the stretch here as we head towards the MLB postseason in early October. Um, let's then go to college football. And college football started Thursday night. Me and Ryder talked about this yesterday in the NFL season preview podcast where the Ohio State Buckeyes played the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And for a quarter quarter and some there, it looked like Minnesota might be able to pull off the upset against number four, Ohio State. But Tanner Morgan just couldn't move the ball, cost, a couple costly turnovers, and Ohio State ended up winning 45-31 as they start their season with C.J. Stroud, their new quarterback, after Justin Fields departed for the NFL. And, you know, there's always storylines. There's always Alabama. Can they repeat? Um, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, will he win the Heisman Trophy? But another big story was Sam Howell. And last year, playing at University of North Carolina, had a strong season, had some great running backs. And you look at him and say, how is he going to do this year? He's losing a lot of pieces. To me, he, his story after watching last night is, you know, Justin Herbert had a great season at Oregon. And his, in his senior season, he lost a lot of weapons. He struggled, and he was a Heisman favorite that kind of fell out of favor, and his draft status plummeted. Now, we're very early into the season, but last night was a horrible start for the season for University of North Carolina and quarterback Sam Howell where they open their season on a Friday night, good spotlight game for University of North Carolina, ranked 10th in the country against Virginia Tech. And it was a disaster, to say the least. In the first quarter, they had three possessions, and they put up zero points, including uh, turning the ball over. They, the time of possession was so lopsided. The only reason it was really close, the time of possession, was because of a – um, fumble by Virginia Tech at the University of North Carolina eight-yard line. But Braxton Burmeister, they were he's throwing the ball a little bit. They're running the ball very effectively, moving the chains of Blackshear. Braxton Burmeister would keep the ball. He ran in a touchdown in the first quarter. And it was all UVA in the first quarter, but Sam Howell was under pressure. He was sacked three times. That offensive line could not hold up. And it just tells you Sam Howell has athleticism, but it's not what he wants. He's got a big arm and he can throw the ball down the field, but he doesn't want to rely on throwing the football to win game. Uh, sorry, running the football to win games. And last night, or yeah, last night he had to run the ball 12 times only for 35 yards, meaning he didn't have time. He didn't have, didn't have time to go through his progressions. And when he did, Virginia tech was playing really good defensively. And to me, his receivers really let him down last night. Walston, his big tight end, dropped three passes. Three that he should have caught, in my opinion. And he, another couple, but Sam Howell sacked three times, throws two interceptions. One, you could look at his one was uh, just a, a fight for the ball where the DB just outworked his receiver. And so he threw three interceptions because he threw one late in the game on desperation. Uh, oh, my mistake. He threw uh, three his late 37 seconds left. He's 
they're, I have a drive. They're down by seven. They're trying, they're out of timeouts, trying to get back in the game. He's about to get sacked for the fifth time, throws a heave and it's intercepted. And that essentially ended the game, but he, it was a disaster night. And one game can't destroy your Heisman case, but last night definitely didn't help his Heisman case. You get a standalone game. Uh, you're ranked as the University of North Carolina. You're in the ACC, and you just get demolished. It, it was 17-10, but this was an embarrassing performance for, for Sam Howell and the University of North Carolina because you get Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is not a great football program. They're much better at basketball. And but to their credit, their defense played ex- very well. They turned the ball over. They got pressure on the quarterback. They limited the running attack for University of North Carolina, which was a big point. And to me, Howell just didn't look great either. A lot of passes he overthrew guys. Again, I don't think his receivers did a, did a lot to help him when it comes to getting separation. But he 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 had to run for his life a lot and he doesn't have a lot of athleticism and just a tough start for university of North Carolina. Again, I think they had aspirations this year to potentially push for, you know, a spot in the national championship game. They got Notre Dame on the schedule. They got some bigger games where if you can win those games, spotlight games, number one, it helps Sam Howell because he can become a Heisman uh, favorite and it helps their program because you can rise in the rankings and also recruits might say, Okay, Mac Brown's got a good system there. They just got a Heisman Trophy winner, a quarterback. Maybe I'll go to North Carolina instead of going, you know, elsewhere to Alabama, the big schools. But a disastrous start, and I don't know where they go from here. Obviously, they they haven't easy down here. Um, we'll see what uh, what they'll do. Uh, but I, it's tough to, to see to see them go through this. And looking ahead to college football down the line here, week two, North Carolina, they, they might be on their bye. They'll play Georgia State. Um, so that would be an easy win. But again, it's not going to help you beating Georgia State for your respect level and then also for the Heisman Trophy. They play Virginia after that. Um, not a great team as well. Then they got Georgia Tech, again, another walkover. Duke, I mean, they're just playing ACC teams. But as they get later, they do play Florida State, who I'm interested to watch. I think they could be a decent team this year. They haven't been in for really since Jameis Winston departed. But um, they could be interested. We'll see them play Notre Dame on Sunday night. That should be an interesting game. But college football is back. Uh, one thing I did love about last night's game was a defensive battle. University of North Carolina in the second half only allowed 86 yards of offense from Virginia Tech, and yet Virginia Tech still won the game. I mean, their defense played well, and North Carolina was just that inept offensively. But today's really the big slate of games where 1 o'clock starts. We got Oklahoma playing Tulane, and you know I think that'll be an easy win for Oklahoma, but it, it will be interesting to see Spencer Rattler, the prohibitive favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and Oklahoma's getting a lot of love to win the national championship this year as well. So they'll start their race to see if they can win a national champion. It's been a minute since they've won one. So we'll see what they can do. So we've got Tulane, Oklahoma. Uh, also a one o'clock game is Penn State, Wisconsin. Two teams out of the Big Ten who Penn State ranked 19th. 
You got Wisconsin ranked 12th. Uh, Wisconsin moving on from Jack Cohn. He's no longer their quarterback after transferring. So he's gone. Two great. Uh, we'll see how, what happens there. Um, Cincinnati, number 18 in the country, open state against Miami of Ohio. We got Oregon, Fresno State. Then a couple of great 430 games where we got Indiana, who are ranked to start the season, which is rare against number 18, Iowa. So we'll see a uh, great game there. Uh, Alabama starts their track to win another national championship. Bryce Young, the new quarterback after Mac Jones departed, they'll play Miami, uh, Miami and uh, De'Ara King, who was injured last year, Tony ACL, will be back. He's uh, played a ton. He's a fifth-year starter after transferring from Houston. But good for Miami for scheduling this game. Uh, I don't like their chances. I think they'll get their ass kicked today, Manny Diaz in Miami. But he is starting to improve that program, and De'Ara King is a fun quarterback to watch. He's a run throw option type guy. So I watch that. And then a sneaky good game today. Sneaky good. It's a 530 start. Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns against Texas. And Texas fired their head coach after last season. They moved on to Steve Sarkeesian, who's been in Alabama the last number of years, turning that offense around. But Texas has just been kind of inept. They're ranked 21 to start the Raging Cajuns are ranked 23 and Sarkeesian's only has so many years to succeed at Texas. That's how college football works, especially a big program like Texas. You need to win early and often. So how will that work out for Steve today? His first, first game as head coach. That'll be great. And then to close out the day, obviously the, the one that's on everybody's radar is Georgia against Clemson where Clemson ranked number three, but I'll say this, I think Georgia will win tonight. Uh, I think Georgia, I think they're a sneaky team to win the national championship. JT Daniels had a great end to the year last year, quarterback. I don't know how he's going to look, but Gigi Ugalele, say that three times twice, is now in a quarterback for Clemson. He, uh, they lost a lot of the wretched, uh, weapons. Travis Etienne's gone. Amari Rogers is now part of Green Bay. So Clemson's lost a lot of their core, where Georgia's bringing a lot of their defense back. They got a, a similar roster. So I think that'll be a great game tonight, but as a statement for either team to get a win against a top three opponent would be big for Georgia and also for Clemson later in the season as we go down the line. And then also UC, uh, LSU, UCLA, you know, uh, UC, LS, uh, so, excuse me, LSU was terrible last season. They were a joke, but they, they looked to have a better team this year. UCLA's already got a win under the belt beating Hawaii last week. We'll see what they can do against um, against uh, LSU tonight. Good test for them. They're at home. So we'll see what happens there. We'll also got BYU, Arizona tonight. So college football is back. And if I had to pick one game today, I, I like Wisconsin, Penn State a lot. Obviously, Clemson, Georgia is a must watch. But the Raging Cajuns, Texas, that one's on my radar. I think it's going to be a good game today. Uh, so if I had to pick one, I would probably say the Raging Cajuns in Texas to watch today. If, I, if I'm you, uh, that's I think that's on Fox at 5:30. But a lot of great college football. It's back. I'm so stoked. I'll be doing that all day today, couching it and watching some damn good football. And also tomorrow we got Notre Dame, Florida State, and then Monday night Ole Miss, Louisville as well. So great, love it. Uh, you know standalone games. Um, I'm all over it. This weekend also is big for the 
CFL uh, started last night where uh, it's Labor Day weekend in the CFL and it tomorrow really is the big game where you got uh, Saskatchewan against Winnipeg, a.k.a. the Banjo Bowl on Labor Day weekend, the Labor Day Classic. And you got Saskatchewan undefeated Winnipeg is uh, coming off a loss to Toronto. So we'll see what they can do to rebound. But big weekend. For, I love watching CFL football this weekend. And last night we saw the Ottawa Red Blocks fall to Montreal uh, Alouettes where Matt Nichols was replaced at quarterback Dominic Davis, but they get blown out. And it's Ottawa's in it. They've had three games and their offense looks inept. And I don't know what they're going to do to turn it around, but will they be on a hunt for a quarterback? Can they go look at McCall Bethel Thompson in Toronto? Will, will the Argonauts want to part with him? Um, potentially when Bo Levi comes back, will they want to depart with Jake Meyer or Logan O'Connor? But for Paul Apolise as a first-year head coach, it's been a disaster start for him. And then also on Monday in the CFL, we got two a doubleheader where you got the Tabbies, the Hamilton Tigers are hosting the Argonauts. Argonauts are coming off, have been haven't played in over a week since the uh, positive test in Edmonton, and the Elks will return to the field against the Stampeders following that game at 5:30. So you look at Monday, you got uh, Rays, Red Sox. I know it's on TV. That's uh, you got Yankees, Blue Jays uh, in the afternoon. You got the, the CFL, you got Elk Stamps. And then the nightcap, you got Louisville Ole Miss. Love it. You know, let's bring it on, bring on the sports. And, you know, I see this is a great, this weekend really just makes me think of CFL. And we'll see that game tomorrow. That's a seven o'clock. Uh, Bombers, Rough Riders, and then two games on Monday, on the holiday Monday. So great action coming this weekend. We also got the Tour Championship. We're coming in today. Patrick Cantley is 17 under par. He has a one-stroke lead over John Rahm, who's had a good start to the tournament. So we'll see the third round today, fourth round tomorrow. Uh, DeChambeau is in third at 11 under. You get Justin Thomas, 10. Tony Fino, 9 under with Cam Smith, Harris English, Victor Hovland, and Kevin Na. But as of right now, it sure looks like it's going to be Cantley versus Rom for the rest of the weekend. They'll play together likely the next two days unless something crazy happens. But John Rom shot 500 yesterday. Uh, Patrick Cantley shot 400. They both birdied 18 to really signify a battle between these two because it's been – these two have been at the top of the heap the last couple weekends. And um, they're, they're at the top of the golf world, golf world for sure. Um, Ryder mentioned this yesterday on the season preview pod, which I recommend everybody listen to, but congrats to Drake Batherson of the Ottawa Senators signing a six-year deal close to 30 million, 4.9875 a year. So he's locked up in Ottawa, getting a good payday, uh, you know, battling his way through Cape Breton in the queue, playing great world juniors, and then playing a season and change in down in Belleville, not complaining, doing it the right way. And then when getting his opportunity, really capitalizing. I think this is a fair contract as well. It's not an overpayment. I think it's what he's done so far in his career. You get a six-year deal there. And now the Ottawa Senators pay Brady Kachuk. I read a, I read a story yesterday from Sean Simpson, who covers the Ottawa Senators, who I trust when he reports information, that the Kachuk camp is pretty upset because they don't believe they've even given been given one legitimate offer from the Senators that would that would make even Brady Kachuk think about signing a contract. He's a restricted free agent. Um, to me, he's, he's their next captain. 
he drives guys into the fight. If if you want to keep guys there, you need to keep some of that nucleus, and they could have a really good team, but Brady Kachuk is a big part of it. Is he going to be a 40-goal scorer? No, maybe not. But he brings something to the table that a lot of guys don't have in the league right now. He just he's, Every game, he's a gnat. He's, he's going to be a force on the ice. He's a good skater for the way he plays the game. And, again, I think he's their captain. To me, he's not – if he was not offered in the same deal as Shabbat, eight years time eight million, shame on you, Pierre Dorian, because that's how you set a culture. Get two guys to take the same deal. You get your two, you get your captain, you got your assistant captain for the next decade. If you don't do that, then that's your own stupidity. And that's Ottawa being Ottawa, a bad organization who can't get out of their own way. You want to have the impression that your organization's turning around and do something about it. Don't do this. Don't hold up a contract with your best player and then have this all this drama heading into the season. You don't want that. Brady Kachuk deserves $8 million. And if you're not offering him that, and maybe they are, but I, I to me, I don't see him not accepting that because Shabbat took it. I, those two are tight. He, he deserves $8 million. He's earned it so far at Ottawa. And I, I just don't, don't understand it. NHL players also going back to the Olympics. Um, again, I don't, I don't need it, but um, great. Everybody else will be real happy. But, uh, you know, I'll win another gold medal. Cool. I won't complain about that. But, yeah, um, fun pod. Again, last night was a fun night of sports. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think today will be great as well with college football going all day, and baseball, tennis throughout as well. And, um if you're in the Rexton area and you see me outside tomorrow, uh, feel free to drop half a bottle of water. Cause tomorrow I'll be doing my second annual of oh, my second time doing my hundred thousand step challenge. I did it a few months ago. Um, I think it'll be easier tomorrow. The weather's not supposed to be as warm, uh, but I did it a, a few months back. It's difficult, but I'll be starting tonight around midnight. Um, so that's tomorrow. I'll be doing that, trying to finish that up so I can get a lot of sports in. But I'll be back here on Monday. Uh, my legs will likely be stiff as a board. But if you see it, if you're in the Rexton area and you see me around, uh, if you drop me a bottle of water, I will uh, really appreciate it. But everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Have a great long weekend. Uh, whatever you're doing with your family this weekend or watching sports uh, by yourself like me, enjoy it. And uh, just have a great day, everybody, and we'll talk soon.